Hi, I'm Sydney. And I'm Haley. And on this week's episode, Taking Care of Fishness. You mean aquarium curation? Uh, I guess so. Anyway, is to, to dive, dive for. for this week's episode this is our first time recording a podcast interview from a distance which means we used some video calling technology and the audio is not the best quality but we promise it's worth a listen still and um, if you have any recommendations shoot us a message yes for sure do that (laughs) thanks guys hey guys welcome to this week's episode thanks so much for tuning in Um, Our podcast has been growing so much in the past few weeks, and we are so excited that all of you are here joining us for this journey. Uh, Along with that, we've gotten lots of likes and lots of reviews, and we appreciate every single one of those. As you guys like and review and share our podcast, we get more and more reach, and we get to create a bigger and bigger community of people coming together to support diving and marine science and all of the voices that get to participate in this field every day. And don't forget that we have merch available at titleteasapparel.com. And then you can go to our little to dive for header in the menu. And we're getting hats in soon. Right now we have sweatshirts and t-shirts and and stickers. stickers. (laughs) So yeah, all of the um, profits from that will go back to funding this podcast and allowing us to share more voices. Thank you guys so much. And now on to this week's awesome episode with Sydney's Marine News for the week. Yay. <laughs> Fish news. <laughs> okay, Sid, your turn. Okay. So the first thing that popped up on my news feed today was that um, a study found marine animals are thriving in the Great Pacific Garbage Patch. And this is um, a study done by the Smithsonian Environmental Research Center up in Maryland. Oh, that's super cool. That's like right down, like I grew up walking to oh, yeah, the Cirque. Yeah. You told that story on our first episode. Yeah. Actually. Yeah. So basically, um, they found a bunch of marine animals that usually only live in coastal areas of the Western Pacific Ocean, but they've been found living and also reproducing on plastic debris in the high seas in the middle of this great Pacific garbage patch. And um, yeah, so it's basically the first documentation of an artificial floating habitat for coastal marine life in the open ocean. That's cool. And I wonder also like what negative impacts that could have, right? Like it's a new habitat created, but also how could like the leachates from some of these like high concentrations of plastic, like of course, as a toxicologist by training, that's what I'm thinking of is uh, plastic leachates, but um, also like different biofilms and even just eating microplastics and stuff as as larval fish are being reared. I wonder how that could impact the health of those populations overall and like whether they contribute successfully to the adult breeding population or if they might suffer from other ailments due to their their like place of birth or whatever. Right. Hmm. The first thing I thought of was how this is going to impact cleanup attempts. I can oh. see people being like, we can't 
clean up the ocean because things are living off of it. Yeah. I mean, that's a rule for a lot of coastal dive cleanups is you can't take anything if there's marine organisms settled on it. So, yeah. Hmm. But just some other, yeah, some other stats from this, they found that 70% of the debris that they collected had coastal species living on them. And then they also identified almost 500 separate marine species on the debris and 80% of them were from coastal habitats. Hmm. So that's just kind of shocking that there's that many species living in the Great Pacific Garbage Patch and they're all not supposed to be there. That's crazy. Yeah. How wild. Okay. Well, thanks for the news piece. Of course. And this week, our special guest is a really good friend of mine, someone I knew very well back in Texas and now has moved on to bigger and wetter things. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah. uh, My name's Brittany. Um, I am the general aquarium curator at Discovery World, uh, Ryman Aquarium. Very Super cool. cool. Will you tell us your pronouns and then also where you're from and where you're working now? Yeah, uh, pronouns are she, her. Um, I am originally from Wisconsin, so I am now back in Wisconsin. I was living in Texas, as Haley said, and I moved back to Wisconsin just to be closer to family. Um, I'm from a little bit north from where I am right now, um, but I'm in Milwaukee. Okay. And you said you work, just to repeat that, you work at Discovery World, right? Yeah, Discovery World, Ryman Aquarium. Um, Discovery World, it's actually a science and technology museum. So everyone always forgets that there's an aquarium inside of it as well. So when I like say when I where I work, I like to say the Ryman Aquarium because then people realize it's an actual aquarium and not the museum. <laughs> I love that. That's awesome. Yeah. That's super cool. Um, so at the beginning of every episode, we ask all of our 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 guests our victims (laughs) what brought you to the water so what what brought you either scuba diving or your curiosity in the ocean or lakes or whatever what brought you to the water um well so I'm from a small town in Wisconsin called Algoma and it's literally right on Lake Michigan my parents were like two blocks blocks from the lake so I grew up living on water literally um my parents own a bunch of land behind our house and we have a river um, that river leads to Lake Michigan. So I spent a lot of my summers on the shore of that river, collecting all living creatures and seashells and little things that I could find. Um, I just, yeah, jars and jars and jars of <laughs> uh, seashells and little like crayfish claws and everything else. Um, so that just got me, you know, initially interested. And I just really liked all things um, animal too, in general. Yeah. Um, but my favorite animal, like I think most girls in the nineties was a dolphin, of course. So I wanted to be a marine mammal trainer one day. That was my initial life goal when I was younger (laughs) but definitely growing up uh, near Lake Michigan that is what started my love for water for sure. I really liked your answer though because my I feel like the way I got into the ocean and all things water related was very similar Uh like we grew up and we had a creek and some ponds in our backyard and I'd always go out there catching crayfish catching salamanders yeah jars for a day and then going back and releasing them Yep. Well, like snakes. I mean, really anything. We like fished back there. So I was always looking for different fish that we were catching. And then 
I remember we had these really big um, freshwater mussels that would grow. So like my dad and I would just spend hours walking to the shore to find like the biggest empty one we could. And I remember having so many all over my bedroom <laughs> growing up. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> I feel like that didn't change as you became an adult. No, my house like, still looks like that now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> say, knowing what your house looks like and also what your <laughs> office at the zoo looked like. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'd say uh, not a yep. whole lot has changed. <laughs> no, there's uh, definitely shells and coral and fossils and everything else, teeth and feathers all over my house. <laughs> okay, so I know you kind of gave us a little insight as to what you do for work, um, but maybe describe for us a little bit more what your job is and how you got into that field of work. Yeah, uh, so I'm the curator of the aquarium. Um, so I, I wear a lot of hats. Um, so I'm first and foremost, I guess I basically run the aquarium really. Um, so I'm in charge of, you know, hiring all new staff, hiring new interns, volunteers, all that fun stuff. Um, but also making sure that we have all the supplies we need, you know, I candle budget, stuff like that. Um, restocking exhibits, um, yeah, I mean, I basically oversee really everything that happens in the aquarium, um, you know, animal related, mechanical related, making sure things are working properly when they aren't working properly, ordering things, you know, contacting contractors, hiring outside sources, things like that. Um, so I get to be like the mechanic side of the aquarium, but then I'm also an aquarist as well, because I think that I would lose my mind if I was a curator who sat in my office all day and stared at my computer um so I do I do make sure I'm in the aquarium um I try to be in the aquarium a couple hours a day every day just because I like I said I wouldn't be able to sit in my office it's definitely not the job for me um so I do have my, a routine of my own where I do have a few tanks under my care so I'm able to get in the aquarium and I'm still able to dive and to feed the animals and do diets and water quality and like things here and there um so I'm still involved in that aspect um, and then to start out how I got here, oh my gosh. So, um, I guess when I was in high school, I knew that like fish was kind of the route I wanted to go with my life, something fish related. I didn't really know what, like I said, I wanted to be a dolphin trainer, um, kind of starting out. And I just knew I wanted to work in an aquarium or sea world or something like that. Um, and then when I got to college, I ended up doing an internship my freshman year at a zoo. So I was more taken care of. It was a zoo, the zoo in Green Bay because, um, you know, I'm Wisconsin. So there's not really a whole lot of options. So I was <laughs> doing Green Bay um, and I don't really have any aquatics. They have a small tank. I think I remember with like some bass in it, maybe. Um, but besides that, it was all terrestrial animals. And so I I did that. And then, um, actually in college, my sophomore year, I discovered, um, in our science building on the third floor, they had a live collections lab with fish and reptiles in it. So my sophomore year of college, I discovered that and I started volunteering in the lab. And then I joined the ichthyology society on campus. And then through that, um, society and then working in the lab, I just like, was like, okay, fish, fish is what I want to do for sure. Um, and then I did a couple more internships. I volunteered at a couple different places. And then I, it was very instilled in me, like, this is, this is where I'm going. Um, you know, the dolphin thing is always still kind of in the back of my mind, maybe someday. Um, but I mean, really for me, it's anything aquatic. I'm going to love it no matter what. So I'm not picky. Um, and I think working with the fish that I have, like I've grown an appreciation for different species now. So I'm, um, 
I don't know, just anything aquatic, I guess. So yeah. <laughs> Is it yeah. mostly like fish fish or just like aquatic organisms in general? Um, I don't know. Coral. I, I really love coral. Um, and then elasmobranchs, I guess, were if I had to pick like my top favorite things, those would be my two categories that I just I have really grown over the years an appreciation for and I've grown to really love those two things. Good answer talking to two coral biologists. Yes. <laughs> We agree. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, and also elasmobranchs for people who don't know what those are. What's oh, uh, just, yeah, sharks and stingrays in general, you know? Yeah. Cool. Our cat- cartilaginous friends. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So you said that you have routines and like it's important to you to be getting into the aquarium, not just be sitting at your desk. What do you mean mm-hmm. by routines? Like what does that look like in your, in your day-to-day? Uh, so routines, we... You know, we're a fairly like, I would say like we're a small to medium sized aquarium. Then we have like three floors. So I mean, we're decently uh-huh. sized. Um, so right now we have the aquarium kind of broken up into like sections, like six sections. Um, but each of these sections is too large for like one person to really realistically handle. So we have everyone kind of having um, tanks in each section. Mm-hmm. Um, and then everyone just has their, has a routine where they have a couple tanks here and a couple tanks here and a couple tanks here, you know? Um, and with that routine, that means that you are in charge of, you know, daily husbandry. So you're in charge of making sure like water quality is, you know, running well, you are in charge of doing the water changes, the feeding of the tank, the training, um, things like that. So I definitely don't have as large of a routine, you know, of course, as everyone else, because I have a lot of other things to do besides just concentrating on my husbandry duties. Um, so my routine is of course a little bit smaller, but I do make sure that I have tanks on my routine. Mm-hmm. Um, and then for me, when I started here, um, we, how it was set up was people just kind of picked where they want, like what tanks they like to want to take care of. Um, but for me, I think it's really important that everyone gain experience with everything in the aquarium. I want everyone to know how to take care of everything so like if someone is sick or something goes crazy wrong or people quit or something that everyone is able to take care of everything comfortably and efficiently so for me um I developed the routines and every six months we rotate and then once we get to the point where we've rotated through all the routines then I'm going to come back and be like all right what tanks do all of you guys like really like that you would just want on your routine and then then we can kind of start specializing. Um, but until then, yeah, we have the routines where everyone has, um, you know, gets to experience all tanks working with everything. So, yeah. Will you give us, um, an idea of what kind of tanks you have in the aquarium? Like what ones do you do or what are your favorite tanks in the aquarium? Yeah. Uh, right now my tanks, um, so we have one floor of the aquarium that's all Wisconsin natives, um, so I have two tanks up there. Um, one of them is our box turtles, beep and boop. Um, oh, they're, <laughs> beep, boop, they're, <laughs> yeah, beep and boop. Um, they're both girls. They are, um, oh, sorry. They're male, female, they're male, female. Beep is the girl, boop is the boy. Um, and they are ornate box turtle and then a three toed box turtle. Um, so they're just super cute. Um, they're kind of like the actual like mascots of a discovery world. So if you like come there or you even see our website, like there's two turtles and that's supposed to be them. So that's pretty cute. Um, and then I'm also in charge of the Blandings turtle there as well. His name is Linnaeus. Um, I got him on my routine 
and then what else do I have? I have our Caribbean reef exhibit. So that is our, it's 65,000 gallons and it's a walkthrough tunnel exhibit. Um, wow. so I am in charge of that one, um, uh, mainly for that, of course it's backwashing. And then we have, um, some sharks and stingrays that live in there. So the training and feeding of, you know, all that, um, what else do I have? I have our axolotl tank. So I'm in charge of our axolotls, um, our piranhas, and then our touch axolotls names. Uh, our axolotls don't have names. They should have names. We have, uh, two girls and a boy. The girls are on exhibit, but the boy is not because the girls are like twice his size and they're chonkers and they're kind of mean to him. So he is not on exhibit right now. He's in the back, but the girls are still on exhibit. <laughs> um, okay. And then I also have the, the touch tanks as well. We have uh, two touch tanks. We have uh, stingrays in one half and then lake surgeon in the other half. Ooh, that's pretty cool. We are yeah. looking at pictures of Discovery World oh. as we speak, and these are so beautiful. Oh my goodness. It's it's so pretty. The like walkthrough tank is so beautiful. It is pretty. Yeah. And that tank is like 84 degrees. So like you don't even need a wetsuit. When I get in that tank, I wear like yoga pants and a t-shirt. Oh my god. <laughs> oh yeah. That is goals, honestly. Yeah. I didn't realize it's situated right on the water too. It's so pretty. Oh, it's right on Lake Michigan. Oh my gosh. It is it's so beautiful yeah and the sun rises like right on the lake off the pier so like the mornings are just beautiful we have a couple questions about diving that we'll get to next and like education but I really have a couple of questions about like working at an aquarium that I don't I don't want to pass over because I haven't written them down and I just kind of came up with them as someone who works in a zoo aquarium currently, but has previously worked in zoos, who is really, really passionate about conservation, who's super passionate about, I mean, you led, of course, here I am just like spitting your resume, but you led the green team at Cameron Park for a long time. You are all sorts of interested in environmental concerns and in ecological conservation and all that stuff. So yeah, what do you think how do you feel about working at aquariums and zoos? And what do you feel like is something that, um, I don't know, is there anything you wish people understood about working at aquariums and zoos? I think that one thing that people don't realize is what aquariums and zoos give back. I think that the, the outlook that most people have is that, you know, you hear zoos are prisons and the animals are in cages and, they could be in the wild and, you know, this and this, and I guess going off of the zoo side, because yes, I did work at a zoo as well as an aquarium. A lot of the animals that you see in zoos wouldn't be alive today if zoos didn't exist. Mm -hmm. A lot of those animals, their populations in the wild were dwindling. I mean, almost nothing. And if zoos didn't have the breeding programs or the rescue programs that they have, a lot of these animals wouldn't be around. And I think that the big the really important thing that aquariums and zoos do is they educate because you can go and you go to a zoo in Wisconsin and there's an elephant there. Where else are you going to see an elephant besides a zoo? And if you never get to see an elephant in real life and can make that personal connection with the live animal in front of you, why do you care? Why do you care if elephants are around if you've never seen an elephant or interacted with an elephant? And that's the same thing with every species is until you really get to learn about the animal and like educate yourself and realize that these animals, you know, like fish, especially people don't realize that fish have personalities. 
they feel pain. They, I mean, I, I don't want to personalize them and like, you know, say that they feel emotion like humans do because they don't, animals don't, absolutely they don't, but they do feel pain. Um, you know, they do produce, they eat, they thrive, they live a life. And if you don't make that personal connection with that animal, you have no reason to care about that animal and you have no reason to want to make sure that the animal stays around for generations to come. So I think the big thing that zoos and aquariums really do is they educate. And I think that's the very first step in making anything happen is education, you know, really. Um, But yeah, besides that current aquarium that I work at um, is not currently AZA certified. So association of zoos and aquariums, um, it's a standard that all not all, I should say, but most Jews and aquariums throughout the U.S. Um, are part of this association. And it's basically just a set of standards, um, you know, making sure that the animals are properly cared for in this, the way of like habitats and diets and making sure that they're getting their proper training and they're getting enrichment and just making sure that they're getting, you know, fulfilled lives, healthy, fulfilled lives, essentially. Um, and I know that my aquarium, we are a nonprofit. Um, so I don't think that AZA was ever really thought of with you know at my facility um but because I've come from a background of multiple AZA institutions it's just a standard that I want us to uphold not that we don't uphold it now we just don't hold the certification I guess Mm -hmm. um I think there are a lot of facilities out there that do get looked down on because they aren't AZA certified but they are perfectly acceptable caring healthy facilities they just don't have that certification so I think AZA, of course, it's something that you want to strive for. And I think it's a really good thing, but I don't think that that negates just because you aren't AZA. I don't think that means you're a bad facility. You know, I, you know, you have your good and bad facilities. Um, but I would like to become AZA certified, um, for the animal aspect of it. So being AZA certified allows you to more easily trade animals, exchange animals between other AZA institutions. Mm -hmm. Um, And in one way you can do that um, specifically, I think this is more of the mammal side, but they are getting more into aquatics. Definitely Um, recently in the last, like I would say 10 years, they're definitely building on the aquatic species um, now, but AZA allows you to actually participate in SSP programs, which is a species survival program. So that means that there are animals, of course, that are threatened or endangered that they want to continue breeding. Um, So the main point of this species survival plan is to be able to have a clear strain of genetics in the animal line for up to 10 years. So that if things would ever happen negatively with the wild populations, these animals could be released theoretically and have a pure line of genetics where there wouldn't be any interbreeding, crossbreeding, things like that. Um, So the main point of SSPs with zoos is that say you have a tiger and their genetics match up really well with a tiger across the country. You would want to introduce those tigers, hopefully they would reproduce, have offspring, and then based off that genetic, you know, um, the offspring with their genetics, you could then pair them up with other tigers throughout the country that you could, you know, send off. So um, I think there's definite um, positives in this. Um, and like I said, in the aquarium world, they are starting to do things with SSPs with like different sharks. Um, it's mainly like the larger animals. So right now it's going to be right. like sharks and rays and things like that. They haven't really gotten to the point where there's a need to have SSPs for fish. Yeah. Um, the main thing with fish in captivity, the big thing now is 
most fish, unfortunately, for aquarium are pulled from the wild. I mean, of course, there are permits and restrictions on the numbers and things like that. There's lots of hoops to jump through. You can't just like pull any fish you want out of the ocean, of course. Like mm -hmm. there are restrictions on it. Um, but the big step now is to breed as many species as you can in captivity so that we aren't pulling from wild populations. Yeah. So right now I would say that the aquarium is like an SSP with everything, but they are starting to lean that direction. Um, and that's something that um, I would like to contribute as well in our aquarium. Uh, one thing we actually recent start, recently started to do is breed our jellyfish. So we have moon jellyfish at our facility and we were just kind of as our populations, you know, cause they don't live very long, just a couple of years. So as populations were kind of dwindling in our exhibit, we would just ask other aquariums like, Hey, you got any surplus? And they would, you know, send us jellies. Um, but we are kind of at a place now where we're like, you know what, our jellyfish breed on exhibit naturally. Let's take these polyps, move them off exhibit and see what happens. And we have had so far, knock on wood, I don't want to jinx myself, pretty great success. Uh, we pulled, I would say right now in our propagation tank, we have probably about 25 polyps that are actually starting to grow. And you can see their little tentacles forming and they're eating. And so that's really, really exciting. I think it's a lot of trial and error because we've none of us have ever done it before. So it's very like research and we're just kind of learning as we go. Um, but so far, knock on wood, we've been successful. So that's awesome. That's so fun. Yeah. Detective research work. Yeah. yeah. And just yeah. to clarify by a genetic match, what you mean, like you were saying like, oh, if this tiger is really well genetically matched to mm -hmm. another tiger, um, you mean like they have little relationship to each other. So they're, they're not matched. Yeah. Like they're so they're, similar. they're, they're matched. Like they're more different. Yeah. So I guess like what I mean by genetically matched up is that they are very opposite genetics so that they make a good genetic match if that makes sense yeah like yeah. increasing genetic diversity exactly yeah. and like something else kind of along with that was like so SeaWorld was under scrutiny for a while because of documentaries that are made to make you feel a very specific way I will just I'm just gonna say that about those documentaries um but SeaWorld especially they do so much wild rehabilitation and release of animals and that is just so important like I'm, I mean hundreds of animals per year that would not survive in the wild without SeaWorld intervening bringing those animals back to health and then releasing them so, and that rounds back right back to just to educating and to, to really knowing, you know, do your research before you just hear one opinion and that's what, that's, what's right. You know? Yeah. yeah I 100% so. agree with that. There's yeah. two sides to every coin and yes. in order to, I mean, the things that SeaWorld has done with their profit to help conserve the environment. Yes. They get giving back. Yeah. Yes. yes. Are there any specific <laughs> conservation programs that you do like in the aquarium or I guess like rescue or conservation programs that you do in the aquarium or, um, or in the ones zoo, that you, even if you don't um, do in your aquarium, ones yeah. that you like really believe in that yeah. you would want to promote? Yes. So right now in the aquarium, we really aren't doing a whole lot. Um, we are a part of um, it's an alligator snapping turtle like species thing. Um, so we have an alligator snapping turtle. There's a place in Missouri that actually like breeds alligator snapping turtles. And then they send out the juveniles to different facilities to grow them up to adults. And then you send the adult back and then they breed those adults. Um, so we do have one alligator snapping turtle. Um, she's a female and she's getting to the age now and the size where we are 
pretty close to like not being able to, I guess, safely handle her. So she's going to have to go back eventually. Um, so I guess kind of that program. Um, and we do have a lot of our sturgeon in our Lake Michigan exhibit, um, our rescue from the wild because okay. Lake sturgeon, like most large freshwater fish are endangered. Um, they were more endangered in recent years. Their populations have luckily come back. Um, but I know a lot of those guys were a rescue, like a D through the DNR here in Wisconsin. Um, but besides that, right now we aren't doing a whole lot. I definitely want to get more involved um, with different programs and different breedings and things like that. Um, one in particular that I really, really strongly want to be a part of, and you guys are going to like love what I'm about to say. Uh, Haley probably knows already. Um, the Florida Reef Track Program. Uh, oh. I just, we, I, like I said, I really love coral. And I know that that program is just, is thriving and doing so much good for um for gulf coral atlantic coral so i would like to eventually one day when we are set up for it um try to get involved to give back in that way for sure okay first question tell us a little <laughs> bit more about the florida reef track program like what do they do specifically um they will with association with zoos and aquariums um they work on propagating and re-implementing native coral back into the Gulf. Um, so a lot of different facilities throughout the U.S. actually have facilities. Um, the restrictions are, are pretty strict uh, for the requirements to have this coral because it is very endangered and it's bleaching very quickly and it's very important, you know, that they have corals very picky, um, you know, so you need to have the right water quality parameters, salinities, everything else, you know, of course, uh, lighting, things like that. So they um, have different facilities that are raising certain species of coral. Um, and then once those corals reach a certain size, they're able to come back to Florida to actually be put out on a live reef in the ocean. So um, pretty cool. And yeah, giving back to wild coral populations. I think that's just, yeah, that's something that I is on the top of my list. Uh, and two awesome. of my aquarists really also love coral. Um, one of my aquarists actually lived in Florida for a while and did a lot of coral research out there. Um, so that's something that's really important to kind of all of us that we would like to eventually get involved in one day once we're set up for it. That's so amazing. Yeah. We need the help. Yes, absolutely. Yes. The Florida Reef Track needs all the help that it can get. Yes, definitely. Back on the topic of diving. How long have you been <laughs> diving and what level of dive education do you have? Um, I have been diving, let's see, since 2016, I think, is when I got open watered and I am currently rescue certified. Very cool. And where did you get oh. your certifications? Was it in Texas or Milwaukee? Uh, my open water was in Texas and then my advance to my rescue was both in Wisconsin my advance was last year and then rescue is this this year so oh, okay. yeah like you've actually dove the great lakes i haven't yet no we didn't go to lake michigan uh oh, it was a little bit it was a little too cold to do lake michigan we did um a quarry and then oh my gosh i can't remember the lake it is like a, it's a crazy name it's like i, I don't even want to guess it because i'm gonna butcher <laughs> the name of it uh it's like a native american word i can't remember the name of it but it was that lake that's so. awesome but not like Michigan. Yeah. <laughs> not yet. I'll get there eventually. But yeah. There you go. Like how highly certified do you think you'd need to be in order to be an aquarium curator? Um, 
our my aquarium at least we require up to rescue that's purely like for tending a dive so that you're able to like rescue someone in case of an emergency Mm -hmm. um so for our purposes just diving in the aquarium setting that's why we have everyone go to rescue um but then as far as curator I would say like I don't know if there's really like a a required certification unless you're gonna of course be your the DSO then you have to be an instructor level um yeah one of my staff members who's our DSO he is up to instructor level so he's he's that high but I think the rest of us are just up to rescue that's awesome. So yeah, I, I wouldn't say like the curator needs to be up to instructor. I don't feel like that's necessary. And then what kind of education do you need like schooling wise, like bachelor's, master's um, to have your job or a similar job? Uh, I just have my bachelor's. So I have my bachelor's in biology with a fish emphasis. And then I got a minor in psychology because I wanted to do the marine mammal route. So that's why yeah. I kind of loop that in there. Um, but I mean, I, I've always thought of going for my master's, but, uh, I would say you bachelor of science masters, I mean, masters isn't going to hurt you, of course, but I think just bachelor of science would probably, would probably be sufficient, you know, and then the experience really is, that's a bigger part of it, I think, than your education. I mean, not that your education isn't important, of course, but experience in this field does a lot for your job and for advancement. So. Yeah, yeah. definitely. I know when I like, used to intern or volunteer at the aquarium with you that like I felt that experience meant so much more in that setting than what I was learning in class because I, I'm now at a point that I'm teaching other people how to yeah in you know tanks and things like that and the number of times I've had to explain like um and make sure when you do the water change that you don't let the heater come out of the water because the heaters when they're dry can be hot and then explode and literally start on fire yeah right yeah so you know different things like that that you you really don't learn that in a textbook you learn it from well the job is just leaving the the job so hands-on yeah I think that's super cool because I think a lot of people think that all jobs related to marine science or diving like you need to have a crazy amount of education you need a PhD or Mm -hmm. you need to be an instructor so I think it's super cool to just show people like there's so many opportunities out there yeah yeah your job sounds amazing yeah (laughs) highly competitive but not necessarily due to like yeah getting higher education more due to just like years years of experience yeah it's experience and knowledge and just like the willingness to to want to keep learning because this career is definitely ever-changing always changing um I think every year they come out with you know a new way of of doing something in the in the field so so if you were to give someone advice and I'm sure like maybe you've kind of covered this already but if someone was looking to get into being an aquarist or eventually being an aquarium curator what kind of advice would you give someone starting off in this career path um getting involved getting involved in any way that you can um I know for me it started as early as high school um, as soon as I was junior, senior, any AP class, any science class I could be in, I was in. Uh, I think my senior year, I was in like four science classes in my eight hour day. Um, I just, anything you can possibly do. Uh, I did a job shadow, like a fish hatchery. Of course, like I said, I grew up in small town, Wisconsin. So my options were pretty limited, uh, but I found what I could um, and I, I did it. Um, I would say just, yeah, getting involved, any internships you can do, um, volunteering yeah just growing your knowledge and just really um 
learning kind of what all you can and getting involved. Um, this field is a large one, but it's also a small one in far as what it's a large one, but it's also a small one as far as the connections that you'll make. So everyone kind of knows everyone when you get down to it, like, you know, someone who knows this person who knows this person. Uh, so the connections are really a big, important thing in this, in this field as well, I think. And then what would you say are like the biggest pros and also cons of working in your field or your line of work? Um, I would say I'm going to start with the cons. I would say the cons are, you don't get paid a lot. Uh, you definitely don't do this job for the money. You do it because you love it. Um, you know, this has been my dream since I was a little girl and I won't even tell you how much money per hour I moved to Texas for, cause it's horrible. And <laughs> I was, uh, paycheck to paycheck for a while there, but the, the job was worth it. So I didn't, I didn't care. Um, but I would say the money is definitely a con. You're like I said, you're not in this for the money. This is not why you're in this field. Um, besides that cons, I, I don't, I think that's it. I can't really think of anything else that's not great about my job, to be honest with you. I, I have no other complaints. Um, and then the pros, you get to hang out with fish all day and you get to feed animals and you get to get in the water and who doesn't want to do that every day? <laughs> right. <laughs> I think that was the best answer. Yeah. <laughs> I, can, I can like hear the excitement in your voice. Keeping me excited. Like, <laughs> yeah. I get to go to work and touch a stingray. Darn. Like, what? Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. so yeah. Okay. Next random question that is unscripted. <laughs> <laughs> so a couple weeks ago, I was in a coffee shop and some woman noticed my necklace and it was a manta ray necklace. And she proceeded to spend the next like 15 minutes telling me how terrified she is of stingrays because that one guy died that one time, remember? And I was like, yeah. you don't even know his name. Yeah. Um, so you said that one of the best parts of your job is that you get to wake up every day and go touch stingrays. Tell me about how much you love stingrays. <laughs> well, first question, <laughs> did you explain to her that manta rays don't even have barbs? Yes. So. Yes, I did. And I explained <laughs> that the, the rays in the ocean and especially the rays in Florida are not out to get you. Um, they are very docile and they use those to make sure they're not getting stepped on. Yep. Their barbs so. do not come shooting out of their tail yes. to stab yep. you. They're not, yeah. They're not out to get you, but, uh, yeah. So that conversation kind of fell on deaf ears, but hopefully this one won't. So tell me, tell me all about the stingrays. Um, I guess my love for stingrays like really solidified my, my first job out of college was actually at the Milwaukee zoo, um, working in their stingray touch tank pool. So they have, um, living exhibits is a company that travels and does like temporary exhibits in different zoos around the country. And they were doing it in the special exhibits building at the Milwaukee zoo here. And I, so I got hired as a seasonal position. I got hired as an aquarist there and the pool, was like 14,000 gallons um, and it had southern stingrays, Kauno stingrays, which are the best stingrays ever, um, bonnethead sharks, bamboo sharks, and horseshoe crabs. Um, so that was my very first summer fresh out of college, like the right into the industry, like my very first taste of it. And I fell absolutely in love with those little 
ocean puppies. They are the cutest little things ever, especially the cow nose rays. Um, they all, too. <laughs> yes, they are just like little water puppies and they're just like so cute. And they all had names, of course. And I just, yeah, I mean, that was my initial love <laughs> right there was those stingrays. And then just since then, I, I don't know. I'm just like drawn to them. I just think that they're so cool and they're so unique and there's just, I don't know. I just, I can't explain it. They're just the cutest little guys ever. <laughs> when I worked at an aquarium back in undergrad, we had a touch tank with cow nose rays and they mm-hmm. always sought you out. As soon as they saw you like lean over the edge, they came. Yeah. All of them wanted pets at the same time. I was like, I yep. can't all of you only have two hands. <laughs> the best was getting in the exhibit to feed them and they just be like sucking on your legs and your feet and just like, hey, 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 hey. And that's just so cute. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. For those of you who don't know, I'm sure most of you know who are listening to this, but uh, (laughs) don't really have like teeth. And of of course, I'm sure I'm going to get friends of mine who are elasmobranch specialists commenting (laughs) telling me exactly what kind of teeth that they have or um, dentition that they have. So, uh, you know, may insert an aside or maybe you need to go to my comment sections and find all of my friends who are elasmobranch experts. But um, yeah the stingrays usually feed by like opening their mouth really fast and creating suction that can suck in different whatever organisms. And then they have like bony teeth, like things as like these like plates that they'll use to crush. So they can crush open clams and different um, bivalves as well as things like crustaceans. Um, So they're really effective. And a lot of rays feed off, or I think maybe all rays feed off the bottom. So they, Mm -hmm. um, similar to sharks, they have this little like uh, electroreceptor array on their nose and it allows them to basically act like a little metal detector and swim around and detect any living organisms in the sand and then they use that suction and their little um, like undulating wings to kind of move the sand aside so that they can suck those organisms in and then crush them open crush mm-hmm. open the shells and get the the meat inside so rays are pretty freaking cool for anyone who's wondering. <laughs> yes. And the fact that their gills are on their uh, underside and they're still able like, to, to be able to breathe and eat at the same time. Like they're just, I don't know, they're just really cool. Yeah. They're their so adaptations cool. are very neat. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yes. Okay. On to a more serious question. Do you think your experiences in the aquarium industry or dive industry have been impacted at all by your gender identity? And if so, how? Um, yes and no. I would say for the most part, I feel like this field is predominantly women. People, it seems the pattern I've noticed that the the higher ups in this field are predominantly male. Entry level positions are mostly female. Um, with this role particularly, uh, where I am now, I would say that when I first started, I had a hard time with them taking me, and I don't want to say seriously, but taking my word for fact, I guess. Okay. So I had a few instances where I was treated like I didn't know what I was talking about. Mm-hmm. Luckily, I was later to prove to them that I did know what I was talking about. Um, but I would say that was the challenge was, um, not being taken, I don't know, as seriously as maybe a male in my position would have been because I am, I'm also, I think, uh, younger than a 
a normal curator would be. And I recognize that as well. So, you know, being a young female, I think, yeah, I wouldn't say it's challenged me really, or it's prevented me from achieving anything. Um, but there are little things here and there. Yeah. So yes, yes and no to that question. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So maybe like, not to put words in your mouth, but maybe to reiterate that you feel like being a female in the industry hasn't disadvantaged you in any major way, but that sometimes you, your words aren't taken at face value. People have to go prove to mm-hmm. themselves that what you're saying is correct. And you feel like yes. that might not always be the same way if you, maybe if you were a little older or if you yeah. were male, you don't feel like your counterparts um, that have different demographics always face the same kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And that that's could just fair. be my personal experience too. You know, that's not to say it's, you know, everywhere, but. Yeah. No, yeah. I think that's, I think that's fair. And I know in diving specifically, and we've talked about this on a couple of yeah. previous episodes, um, but the higher ups, like the instructor and dive master level and up tend to be predominantly male. So mm-hmm. where a lot of times the entry level uh, dive certifications are both male and female, like it's pretty evenly split. The higher up you get, the more male dominated it is. And something similar is true in academia where the higher up you get, um, there are uh, increasingly more even male-female ratios, which is great, but Mm -hmm. males typically have like a higher publishing rate. They earn more grant money compared to So there's still some inequalities in this field too. And it does tend to be up at that like higher level. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I, I would totally believe that. And mm-hmm. I think your experience is totally valid. So next question. Now on to the fun questions. Oh yes. These are, this is my favorite part. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So what are your passions and hobbies outside of work? What do you like to do? Um, I am obsessed with plants. Uh, I love house plants. I love outside plants. I love aquarium plants. Uh, the last time I did a census in my current house, I had over 70 plants. Oh my gosh. Uh, I just, it brings me joy. And when I'm sad, I go to the plant store. And, <laughs> <laughs> uh, when I'm happy, I go to the plant store and living in Texas, it was fantastic because basically year round, my plants could be outside. Well, that's not the case here in Wisconsin. So in the winter, my house literally quite frankly turns into a jungle, but I love it. And yeah, plants. <laughs> um, I also enjoy walking my dogs and going on hikes with them and exploring new places and letting them experience new things. Um, I, I think the first words Brittany said when she walked into this house were, Oh my God, I love your plants. They look so happy. And I said, well, that's good. Um, they're probably only happy because I just bought them from the plant store. They were in Florida, so they literally should be thriving. Yeah. Literally just put them outside and they're going to live their life happily. Yep. Out yeah. There. It's like yeah. when I have an unhappy plant, I stop taking care of it and I put it outside yeah. and just and give it some water fun. sometimes. And then where you are, you might not even need to give it water because it'll yeah. just rain and be beautiful. Yeah. Well. Do you have a favorite? house plant um hmm. 
I guess the plant that's been with me the longest is my hibiscus, which isn't really a house plant, but in Wisconsin, it's a house plant because it can't be outside. <laughs> um, and then I also really love my jade plant because it came from one of my good friends actually in Texas. And she gave it to me when it was just a little itty bitty baby. And now it's like this big and loving life. And um, so I really like my jade as well. Yeah. <laughs> Shout out to friends who give you plants. Yeah. And it reminds me of her. Like she literally gave me, I think it was like, I mean, it was a single leaf with like maybe like maybe three leaves on it. It was Jacqueline. I'm going to call her out. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Shout out to Jacqueline. Thanks for giving us plants. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. <laughs> What is the best or craziest dive story that you can think of off the top of your head? So this can be like work-related or maybe a fun dive. Oh man, um, I can give you some crazy work-related ones. Do it, go for it. The craziest slash kind of saddest dive uh, was at work. Uh, I'm gonna, Haley's gonna know this story. Um, so we had just gotten a shark, oh. first shark, yeah. First shark ever in this, this was at my previous, a previous job. Um, first shark ever, he's a little bonnet head. He was like three and a half feet. He was just so cute. And he was great on exhibit training. Well, just, he was beautiful. And I came in one morning and I was alone that day and I came in and I couldn't find the shark. And I was like, what the heck? Where is the shark? So I'm searching the exhibit on the outside. I go up top. And I'm searching like the holding because there was holding tanks like on the top of the tank where like we could pull fish off. So like, maybe he jumped and landed in the holding. Like where, like I was looking in the overflow, like everywhere. I could not find the shark. I was like, all right, well, I'm going to suit up and I'm going to get in and see like, and I was expecting the worst, of course, because like he was a bonnet head. So like they they need to keep swimming, you know? So I was like, he's, you know, probably not great. So I was like, well, whatever. So I got in and I'm in, in the tank and I'm searching in the caves and the crevices. And we had two green moray eels living in that tank as well. Um, they were about five feet long each. They were fully mature and <laughs> flotsam what was his name swims past me. And I could see the outline in his body of our shark. Yeah. <laughs> So I went up to him and I grabbed his body and I could feel it. And I was like, well, found the shark. And instant tears. I think I was crying underwater. I was so sad. Oh, that was um, the craziest slash saddest dive experience I think of my life. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. I came in that day and- Oh, it was horrible. It was so quiet. And I showed up and I was like, why is everyone so quiet? And- well, maybe it was the next day, but whatever it was, it, yeah. was, it was very solemn in the aquatics department that, that we murder, <laughs> murder. It was mur straight murder. And he didn't even, and the thing is, is the next day we came in and he had regurgitated him. So it's like this eel ate our shark and then didn't even actually eat him. Oh my gosh. Didn't even reap the benefits. Just like, he's just like, murder for murder I don't like yeah. you. Ugh. <laughs> Yeah, it was a sad day, but that was probably my craziest dive story was oh that one at work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a pretty crazy one. Yeah, I don't know what I was expecting, but it wasn't that. That's wild. <laughs> <laughs>
And I'm sad and then, for that shark. <laughs> I would say the one of the angriest dives I've ever been on. It was this, I don't know if this was you and I or me and Alexia when we had to do the Easter eggs. Do you remember doing the Easter eggs? That was the worst. Wait, why? Feeling all those, no, filling the dang eggs oh. and then putting them on the bottom. Like, I think it was Alexia the one year we did it because we didn't like, we didn't bring them down. I think you guys had filled them before. I think we tried no, bringing them down. What we did is, it was me and Kevin, the volunteer diver. And, oh, I remember this. Yes. And we brought them <coughs> down in an upside down net. So we grabbed a net and we put, we threw all of the Easter eggs in and then we scooped them up with the net and then we brought it down and put a weight belt around the net and then yeah. we reached our hand up inside, grab an egg, fill it with mm-hmm. sand, set it aside. And so we did that at the very beginning. But it was, yeah, that was my second year doing it. My first year, we just threw them all in and like tried to wrangle them to the bottom. It did not work at all. <laughs> that was like the, the worst egg. dive of the year was the Easter egg dive. I dreaded it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. There needs to be a method to that madness. It is, it's wild. It looked fantastic when it was done, but yeah. doing it was horrible. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so you mentioned that you wanted to dive in the Great Lakes at some point. Is there mm-hmm. anything else that is on your dive bucket list? Where, like your dive travel bucket list? I need to dive the Great Barrier Reef before I leave this earth. <laughs> yes. Well, Sydney will be there soon. So maybe we need to That's go my excuse together. to fly there. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that would be uh fantastic anywhere else or mostly just that's the top uh I mean that's the top for sure um I'd also like to I've only ever snorkeled in kelp forest in California so I'd like to actually dive kelp forest and that would be cool too that would be unreal that's on my list yeah same what would you say your favorite marine organism is is it still a dolphin (laughs) I'm going to say yes. I can't let go of my, 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 yeah. Dolphin. I even have it on my foot. I just love them. Uh, yeah. Dolphin. <laughs> I love it. You're committed. Very loyal. Yeah. Yes. I'm going to, I'm going to stay with, with the dolphins. They were with me from the start. So yeah. What about out of the animals that you work with or even have ever worked with? Do you have any favorite species or even like individuals that you just love the most? You know this answer. Uh, <laughs> she is a puffer fish from Texas and her name is Jean and she is my favorite animal in the world. <laughs> yeah. Do, have I told you about Jean? I think you did. Uh, I she pretty sassy love her. She yeah. Sassy. She is sassy. She was queen bee. She had so much personality. There is a giant painting of her in my office currently here. I love that fish so much. <laughs> yeah, you're gonna have to send us a picture to post with your episode. I 100 will find you the cutest picture of her. Yes, <laughs> I think just about the only thing Brittany has more pictures of on her phone besides Jean is her dogs. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, I my favorite Jean story is how we were target training the or I mean target feeding they were trained, um, but target feeding the green mores that she was talking mm-hmm. about. And Jean just did not care that she wasn't like, she just really believed she was the apex predator. I just really think that I don't think she realized that she wasn't. Um, And so she would like leap the, the eel's mouth would be partly out of the water as we're putting fish in his mouth. Right. 
And Jean would leap out of the water, grab the fish out of our tongs right over the eel's mouth, and then like yeet itself back <laughs> into the tank. And meanwhile, the eels just really didn't mess with her that much. Like, yeah. she really probably could have hurt her a lot more, but you know. She or she would, she would skip the tongs and she would dive directly into the eel's mouth and take yeah. the fish out of the eel's mouth. Yeah, yeah, she also did that a few times. Honestly, she definitely got uh, got a few cuts on her once in a while from doing that. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I think I need to I need to channel. Sometimes I, I channel. <laughs> I was like, I need the confidence of Gene. Yes, we're we're having a Gene moment. We've got to channel <laughs> our inner Gene. <laughs> Let's take a Gene approach to this and launch ourselves into the jaws of Amore. Head first. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my problems are the moray i am jean <laughs> yes. okay the main question of the night what keeps you coming back to the water um i mean exploring the water diving the water working with the water the animals um i think the conservation aspect the just wanting to learn more and do what i can to actually make a positive impact i would say I think that's great. I I also, as someone who knows your personality, I think that you live that out in your day-to-day life too. Like you're I someone try. who doesn't just <laughs> talk the talk, but you also walk the walk and you encourage those around you to walk the walk as well. And I think that you advocate strongly for the environment that you care about. And I think, I think it's super important yeah. and really admirable. Because everyone should care. It's where yeah. we live, right? It is. We all depend on the environment. Yeah. Yeah. Your fact at the beginning about the garbage, that was mind blowing. 500 species. Like that is, I don't know. It's both, I guess, like it's almost like evolution. Like those animals like are evolving to live with the dirtiness of people. And it's horrible. Like it's good and bad. Like, it's just, I don't know that, that has me like, I don't know. I've mixed emotions about that. I know. Like nature wild. Nature will 100% prevail long before us, after us. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. There are definite pros and cons with that for sure. Super cool. Yeah. I've learned so much. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much, Brittany, for coming on our episode this week. Of course. It was fun. Yeah. Thanks for coming and telling us all about what it means to curate an aquarium. Yeah. So much. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode. Don't forget to head on over to our website where you can find information on submitting your great stories for our Fishtails episodes. Those will come out about once a month and you can find the form to submit your stories online. Our website is under titleteasapparel.com. There's a little header at the top that says to dive for a podcast. And if you hit that link, we also have merch for sale. And you can also find us on Instagram at To Dive For Podcast and on Facebook as well. Don't forget to like and follow and share with your friends. See you guys next week. Bye. All right. Thanks for listening to this week's episode in its entirety. And you know, if you stick around till the end, you get a fish fact. This week's fish fact is brought to you by Flotsam and Jetsam, the adult green moray eels at the Cameron Park Zoo that we talked about in the episode. Uh, First fun fact is that moray eels have two sets of jaws. They have their 
first set of jaws is the ones that you can see, and then they also have something called a pharyngeal jaw, which is set back a little bit further in their mouth or down their throat a little, and it can come forward to grab their prey and pull it back into their esophagus for digestion. The next fun fact is that green mores are actually not green. They're kind of a dark gray brown, and the green comes from a mucus slime layer on the outside of them that allows them to be nice and slippery as they look for a hiding hole to await their prey. Um, they're ambush predators, so they sit in that hole and wait for their prey to come out um, so that they can get the jump on them, get a fresh meal. All right, see you next week. See the thing <laughs> on the reef with the big shiny teeth, that's amore. Thank you.